surgeons for who are here, if you want your name changed, Deb might not know how to change your name to like amazing Disney princess characters like I do. So change your name if you want to come on for coaching and we don't want our guest coach to have to figure that out. Um, so we'll introduce you and then um, first come first serve for the surgeons who are here, raise your hand if you want to come on because Deb is a massive resource for chronic pain, body work, um, talking to our bodies. You just have such a cool story Thanks about talking to your body. Um, so do you want to kind of just tell us how you got into coaching and the, your chronic pain story and kind of, I love how you talk to your knee. Okay. I love that story. Tell I never you. told you the story of talking to my hip. That was also <laughs> hilarious. Um, sure. So let's see. I um, have been a body worker for, let's just say, 10 years. Um, and so as a massage therapist, and I studied restorative exercise and lymph and body stuff, I'm also a longtime um, fat activist and like body positive advocate. And um, I was training to climb Kilimanjaro. Actually, this was after I climbed Kilimanjaro. So I was training to climb Kilimanjaro and I had recurring knee pain. And I climbed this beautiful mountain, had a great fun experience, also hard. Um, and then came back and then this like knee pain just would not go away. And I was over 50. I'm still over 50. I was over 50 at that time. And I was thinking, oh, this is the that time when maybe I'm going to need a knee replacement, a joint replacement. And I, I really didn't want one. Um, one, I just think it's very useful to avoid surgery if you don't need it. And two, I've had a number of people, friends in my community who've had number of like very intensive and catastrophic problems with knee surgeries, with joint replacement. So as much as possible, I wanted to avoid it. And um, I was actually in a coaching community and a friend of mine, Susan, was talking about using the Curable app to... Uh, get rid of her migraines. And I was like, what? How do you use an app to get rid of pain? And she's like, nope, it's real. It happened to me. Pain is not really what we've been taught that it is. Like we think it's a degenerative, you know, that we think it's a body problem, right? And um, she's like, nope, go check it out. She's like, it's based on the theories of Dr. Sarno. And so I picked up, uh, the Curable app, and I picked up Dr. Sarno's book, um, Mind Body Prescription, and I read them, and I was like, oh, all of this is me. And a lot of what he talks, like in the Mind Body Prescription, Dr. Sarno talks about the relationship between um, emotions and kind of how we see ourselves, like repressed emotions or perfectionism. And he wrote this, I think that book was written in the 90s. Um, and he helped cure a lot of people from back pain. So he's a very famous, like, physiatrist. He's a very famous rehab medicine doctor who helped cure a lot of people's pain, uh, but mostly back pain. And then the Curable app became, you know, kind of was this, like, now this Dr. Sarno that lives in your phone and helps leading you through this process of how to kind of 
assess your your somatic your physical experience through this new lens and what it led me to do was have a conversation with my knee so i basically i was what i recognized was i was putting a lot of pressure on myself so i was not only this you know body worker massage therapist i was also learning this exercise modality and i had a lot of pressure on myself to like be really good at it and to be able to teach it and to be able to help other people and yet i was in pain and the more i did this work the more pain i was feeling and um all day long it, it's this i love my teacher of it but one of the things she kind of instilled in us was this kind of she she instilled this idea that we like could not be spending more time a day like working on our mobility like you basically had to be like vigilant and dealing with it all the time like unmoving unlearning all of the bad habits that modern society has given us and what it really did for me was create this constant hyper vigilant um attentiveness to my internal physical experience um, that I was spending all day, like constantly aware of like the rotation of my femurs and the location of my knee pits and like thinking about like, uh, you know, all of this like kinesiology stuff, which is very, very useful, but not when we take it to this degree that I did, which I, I thought I was just doing all the right things. Like I thought like the more that I learned, the better I would be at this. And the more I observed my own posture, the more I can help other people. And the more that I would get out of pain, that that was going to be the way for me to feel better. Um, and so that when I read this material, when I used the Curable app, like a, what I was learning was, oh, I am creating this perfect storm of like attention and fear. And it became this cycle in which my brain was on high alert all the time and interpreting any sensation that was happening in my knee as, uh, you know, a five alarm fire. Um, and so I took myself for a walk and I said, okay, we're going to start over. Like, we're going to just find peace. And I, you know, I could like sense this resistance. So I was like taking this very slow walk. I took my friend's dog with me and I was like, okay, we're gonna go take a walk. We're gonna know, you know, we're gonna like change this narrative in which walking was safe. And um, so I was talking to my knee and I was like, we're gonna go for this walk. It's gonna be safe. My knee was like, mm, I don't trust you. And I was like, why? And it's like, cause you're, you criticize me all day long. You tell me I'm doing the wrong thing all the time. And like, and I recognize not only, you know, was I telling myself that I was doing the wrong thing, but every message I've ever received, you know, both from this teacher, both from like medical providers who want, you know, just telling me all of my pain is related to my weight. Like there was just this constant sense that like, of course I was in pain. You know, because there, because my body fundamentally is going to just not be working because of my age, because of my weight, because of whatever, because of the alignment of my bones. And, um, but so slowly I was like, nope, we're gonna, 
like I believe this, like my friend Susan got better from these debilitating migraines. I'm like, lots of people get better. Thousands of people got better from Dr. Sarno from reading a book. He didn't even have an app. He like wrote some books, people got better. He had three hour lectures. That was his treatment protocol. And I was like, so there's gotta be some part of this that I can do. So I took myself for this walk and I just told my brain and told my knee, like, this is gonna be different. We're gonna find peace. We're gonna be okay. And like, as the walk happened, I could feel my quad release. I could feel my kneecaps relax. I could feel my body relax. And like, and I was like, okay, well, let's make this an enjoyable walk. We're gonna have a nice experience. And so by the time I got home, I felt much better. And then as my work day went on, um, I had to stop myself from kind of like always fixing my alignment all day, which is what I was used to doing in, during my whole day of massage. And I was like, every time I would work on a client and like put my attention towards helping them relax, I would kind of like receive that for myself. And I was like, no, we're gonna relax as well. Like we're not, we're gonna let go of this hypervigilance. And so by the end of the day, it was pretty much like 80% out of pain. And then I was like, you know, part of me was really skeptical. I was like, well, we'll see how I feel in the morning because the mornings were really painful. I would get up out of bed and I would be in a lot of pain. And then, but that next day I woke up and I was like 95% out of pain. And it was just so shocking. It was shocking because I did not get any younger and I had not lost any weight magically overnight. All I did was change my relationship with the, the sensory experience that I was having and the relationship that I was having around fear and worry and catastrophizing. And um, so then I just dove in headfirst into studying this and I got trained by a wonderful mind-body physician named Dr. Schubner. And, um, and he has a great book, um, I could, I happily share a whole bunch of resources. So he and Charlie Merrill, who's a physical therapist, um, started a, like a training for hands-on practitioners. So they trained PTs and body workers and stuff like that. And then during COVID, of course, I couldn't do my job. I couldn't, could not stay being a massage therapist. So I decided to just work with people one-on-one -on -one and become a coach. And I had already been doing, um, like life coach school, working with the model um, through Carl Lowenthal's The Clutch. And so really getting into the model, the, the thought feeling part of the model was really very similar to so much of the somatic practice that we do in pain reprocessing. So it was like this perfect, beautiful coming together of these things. And so then I help, uh, I have the privilege now of helping other people um, change their experience with pain in their bodies, which is like seriously the best job I could ever ask for. Yeah. And, and you're never going to run out of humans to help. No, that is got a, we got a big pain problem. We do. We have a pain problem, but also like, I think it's, you know, like human beings feel things. So like, of course we feel pain, mm -hmm. you know, there's, it's, it's often the problem is like the way that we think about pain, the way we talk about pain, the way we teach about pain, 
Um, and, you know, really it's so, it's very, very new science that we actually understand why this mechanism of pain reprocessing even works. And it was just this most recent boulder back pain study that really uh, was just used fMRIs. Like Dr. Sarno didn't do any research. He just decided, um, you know, he was just more interested in helping people. He also didn't get any support from NYU. He worked at NYU his, uh, most of his career and uh, they did not support his work, even though he was getting incredible results for people, so. The Boulder study and the, it's the uh, the Way Out book. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so that's Alan Gordon's uh, The Way Out, which is a great book. And it's a very, like, it's a very um, uh, easy read. It's very yeah. accessible. Very accessible. It leads people through this process of like how to create safety in your body through internal conversations, through sensory reprocessing, just through like even just thinking about your pain differently it can change a lot of things. I want to give people the opportunity to raise their hand if you want to come on yeah. and ask questions or be coached. Um, and while you're doing that, I'll just keep you guys can pretend that I'm doing a podcast because that's what I love to do. Um, so for people that, that might be new in this group, we talk a lot about the model, which is there are circumstances in the world. And then we have thoughts about the circumstances that create our feelings and our feelings drive our actions that, which create our results. That's the model because we'll just use that language and not introduce it sometimes. But um, my question for you is where would you put pain in the model, Deb? Where do so you like, where do you like to put it? Yeah, so the way I like to put it is, um, I even taught a class for um, in the clutch about this. So when I was, when I think about pain, I put the sensory experience as the circumstance, as the C, because that is what we're feeling, right? Because some of the, so much of the problem with mind-body medicine or like what what has been problematic before is when people talk about pain being something like all pain is created by the brain that's just a medical fact right and so it doesn't matter what is happening in the body the brain is the one that decides whether or not you're going to experience pain and so that's for acute pain that's for chronic pain and um you'll like the boulder back pain study proves that pain becomes learned. Um, so it moves over to the learning centers of the brain after uh, a while. So, um, but when you tell somebody that their pain is in their, from their brain, they hear you say that the pain is in your head, like they're making it up, right? Like it's psychosomatic even though it is psychosomatic because it's the relationship between our thoughts and feelings and the sensations in our body. So I like to just put the feeling, the experience that you're having as the circumstance, because then we can start to explore it. And a lot of it is like what we make the pain then mean, right? And yeah. discovering the, the thoughts and the, the role of catastrophizing. What is it? It's the two things, catastrophizing and perseverating is that mm -hmm. the other thing yeah yeah in the, in the chronic pain we kind of get stuck in those cycles absolutely and and so um 
that's kind of where I start with it so that people can see that it's like a neutral circumstance, that it it really does. And then we do think about like all of the meaning that we've made about these sensations and thinking about um, like then playing with the, it's really, I use it as an awareness practice, like what is the thought and then what is the feeling slash sensation. So I like to like think about the feeling and then the sensations that come with the emotions. So like the felt sense of whatever the feeling is. And through the process of awareness, there's a, there's a skill and a technique uh, in Alan Gordon's book, and that's used primarily for pain reprocessing called, um, oh, it just flew out of my head, somatic tracking, that's what it's called. And somatic tracking in the model really just maps beautifully onto how you process an emotion, right? You just create awareness, kind of go into the sensation, you just observe it and allow it to be there with like friendship, with kindness with self-compassion and so as we train the brain that these sensations are safe to be felt oftentimes they just change on their own um, and then there's then there's a process for reprocessing where you create like um, corrective experiences and things like that so you really are talking to the brain just like I talked to my knee you're really like updating the brain the whole theory of predictive coding of the brain and all this stuff. But for the model, it's just really a good place to get into both the awareness piece, but also because pain is a biopsychosocial uh, experience, like all of, like what we make a sensation mean goes into whether or not the brain decides it's really important for you to pay attention to it. It's like, let's just think about something kind of really neutral, like balance, right? So it's like, if you feel like you're going to fall, your brain is going to make sure that you, you the brain doesn't want you to fall, right? That's a threat. And so, you know, it's going to give, do lots of things to kind of make you pay attention, whether that's like creating fear, right? So that then you actually like hold on to something or you don't move, right? Fear can literally change your motor patterns, right? Your ability to move. Um, and so then we also interpret those experiences. And so depending on whatever it is that we're told about our pain condition, what we're told about our body, what we're told about the possibility for healing, uh, a, lot of, a lot of what happens is like we get, you know, nocebo messages, about the possibility for recovery and repair. Um, there's, you know, what Dr. Sarna would call wrinkles on the inside and like how MRIs are interpreted. And so there's a lot of like fear and catastrophizing that gets kind of put into people's bodies when they go to the doctor to find out why they're hurting. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the original pain can be an acute experience, but it be it sticks around even long after the body is healed because the brain has learned this uh, pain pattern. So part of healing is to also update the brain, tell it that it doesn't need to keep telling you that something is hurting. So it's a little oh. bit of an art. 
like the process of helping people get out of pain is a little bit of an art as well as like with the science. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. We've got somebody who has their hand raised. I think you're the host. So if you want to bring oh, okay. her on as a panelist. Yes. Such a bright do I know how to do this? Hand raise. Allow to talk. Is that what I'm doing? Is there a promote? Is there a promote, promote to panel? To panel? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I did that correctly. Okay. Hi. Do I have to unmute? She should be able to unmute herself. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay, got it. Can you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. We got you. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I mean, fascinating. And thank you for doing this with us. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess one thing you said that really caught my attention that I kind of want to elaborate more on and also mm -hmm. it does apply to me is um, you were talking about how you were learning how to like better align your body because um, so I think a lot of surgeons experience chronic like neck and shoulder pain and a lot of it mm -hmm. comes down to our ergonomics, you know, mm -hmm. and then this leads to headaches and migraines and, and things like that. And so right. I did find that fixing the physical problem helps, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, I know there's a, a mental component to that as well. And then I actually have like a muscular dystrophy. So I have like chronic muscle inflammation. And, and so I think mm -hmm. pain is just going to be a part of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, pain is a part of every human being's life. Right. Um, so that, you know, that's a pretty standard experience. Some of what happens is, um, I mean, are you under stress? Of course, yes. <laughs> so sometimes what happens is when we, when we, when we're kind of like, and like, does it feel like you're when you're working? There's a certain amount of like rigidity or like physical rigidity, like you don't have a lot of room to like feel and express your emotions while you're doing your job? Um, I mean, I I mean never, I've never been a surgeon, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're surgeons. So. Uh, Kelly likes to tease that the only emotion we know is tight before we start doing this work. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, I really recommend if you guys are interested, Dr. Hanscom is a former back surgeon who has gone deep into this work um, because he had decades of his own chronic pain. Um, and he's got, let me see if I can, um, he's pretty brilliant and runs like a whole program on pain. He's got a website called Back in Control. Um, and so he talks about being a surgeon um, and how that fed into his pain experience. And so, right, the brain, like if we think of the brain like a dial and it's turning up or down the volume of your sensory experience. So yes, if we're in like chronic flexion of your head, you know, um, your body's going to send you cues to move. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to be like, 
no, we don't like, you know, we don't like this. Like your body sends you cues to do everything, to eat, to go to the bathroom, right? Your body's always talking to you. Mm -hmm. When we supersede those messages all the time, and sometimes you have to do that and work, like sometimes then that becomes a louder communication. But then when we also add in, like we add in layers of stress, we add in this kind of like, sometimes it can be kind of like a harder punishing internal narrative, right? That, that there's a lot of different ways that the brain can interpret like danger or lack of safety. And the only way the brain has to communicate to us is through our body. Like your brain is basically a meatball in a box, right? It does a lot of things, but it only knows what's happening in the world through your body, through your sensory perceptions. So I think we, I think it's a little bit of both. And like, we can't only think that things are biomechanical. It's not just people's head position that's causing their neck pain. Um, and so there's a certain way, way of like creating a softer internal experience. Like when you start to feel pain, it can just be the body's way of asking you to check in. To be like, tell me you're okay. And that strangely enough, can be um, an amazing kind of release. And you can do that while you're doing other things, like while your attention and focus is on other things. And so part of this is really about learning and neuroplasticity. So we also want to update the prediction of the brain. And if you are familiar with like predictive coding, it's really just that the brain, um, gives us all of the experiences it's expecting us to have. And then it only updates the ones in which they don't match, in which there's an error. Like we're, at, we're not actually perceiving the world in, in real time. Most of it is like a projection and then it kind of updates the parts that are like, oh no, that's a, that's a mistake. That doesn't really quite fit, right? Because otherwise we would maybe be catatonic. Like we, our ability for our brain to process everything in real time, is, is not metabolically conservative, right? Like that doesn't support our survival. So there's this idea of predictive coding. So you're, if you're used to having neck pain, your brain's gonna be like, yeah, neck pain is normal for you. Um, it's normal, it becomes learned and what we have to do is teach the brain to unlearn it. So um, ergonomics is part of that unlearning, right? Like anything can be, anything can update the predictive code of the brain in a lot of ways so like placebo is a perfect example of that and now they even have studies where like right open is it open case open or it's just called open placebo i don't even remember what it's called but like open placebo where people know that they're taking a placebo is still effective so that's not really a actual medication that's having any effect like chemically on the body, but it's having the effect on the brain. So 
part of it is really useful to be like, we don't always need a medical intervention or a biomechanical intervention when we feel pain. Part of what's going on is like, we think of the body as being really robust, the ability for our body to hold up our head in space and like to move our arms and to support your body and your back in lots of positions. You will believe that you are more capable and stronger and but if we support this kind of, uh, I think ergonomics has somehow sold us on this idea that our bodies are really fragile, that we actually can't um, hold, you know, that we like can't hold different positions. And some of it is because we have work lives now that like don't offer us like freedom of movement that we might normally have if we listen to our body when it was like giving you a cue to move so it's complex our bodies are not machines i don't know if any of that was helpful but if you have more <laughs> questions i know sometimes I, I like i have a lot to say so please feel free to ask more questions yeah no it was helpful um it's very it's clearly very complex so i mean one comment you made I definitely supersede those signals a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we're often trained to be pretty much like robots, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so I realize that's part of the problem. So I guess, so I guess partly what I was trying to get at too, is there mm -hmm. probably is a biomechanical problem. And so you want to listen to that, but yet you don't want the pain to become like, like detrimental. So yeah, balance. I, I like to think of pain being separate from what's happening in the body almost. It helps me when, when we look, when we explore pain as being a communication from the body and then all the different things it's trying to tell you. So, and it could be lots of different things when we only think it's saying one thing, like my head is in this bad position, then we're only really using one tool. Um, so what if like all of the different ways that you can explore helps you bring the dial down. And one of the things that happens with pain is if we're constantly triggering the nervous system to think, oh, these things are dangerous. And if or like moving my body in this particular way is dangerous or bad for it, that becomes this learned conditioned response. So then we're hypervigilant, we're fearful, we catastrophize, we think about like, I can only sit in this chair. We start to train, like you actually just start to train the brain that all of these things are places that you're gonna experience pain. And then the brain is like, yes, like the brain will do what you're telling it to do, even though you're not telling it consciously, you're telling it subconsciously. So it's part of, it's a lot about breaking those, um, those conditioned responses, unconsciously trained um, associations by the brain. And so, some of it is just like going in there and shaking it up like a snow globe and being like, I don't know, we're just going to do this thing. We're going to do things differently today. And I'm just going to believe, you know, I'm just going to believe that I'm safe. 
And some people, that's a very, that's a hard thing to believe. Some people, you know, they're like ready to jump in and like kind of try a new theory. Um, and that's why some people can get what like has been called a book cure for doc, like back when Dr. Sarno was um, teaching and working with people and people would read his book and they would like get it. It would click for them and their pain would be gone. It didn't matter how long they had been experiencing pain. Um, and then some people, it would take them a while, take them weeks, months, years, you know, but, um, so, but just the ability for your brain to turn off pain quickly, because that also happened with me. My brain turned off this pain signal because I told my brain that what I was doing with my body wasn't dangerous. It was like, it doesn't need to ring the alarm. There's no danger. So sometimes what, there's a thing called like centralized sensitization, central sensitization. I hate saying that because it's a tongue twister. And that's just the general sensitizing of our nervous system to become more and more hypersensitive. And so then you need less and less stimuli to trigger that alarm. So part of what we're always trying to do in pain reprocessing is getting kind of the whole system also quieter, um, less reactive, because the the brain is processing sensory data all the time, right? Um, and I have a thought that I actually want to share going all the way back to the circumstance in the model. But I'm going to hold that for now. But the brain is processing sensory data all the time. Most of it goes unnoticed. And that's a good thing. That's what we want. We want the brain to, to like, we want the body to just be like, none of this stuff I need to know about. None of it is affecting the allostasis of my body. None of this is like changing things that are happening. It's like everything's happening according to the design and we just keep going. Um, and so Kelly, what I meant to say about like the circumstance in the model was our kind of neutral nociception. That's what I, that's what I used. Sometimes you could just put like what you're feeling in the circumstance line, but the neutral nociception, I like to think of it that way. And nociception is changes in pressure, temperature, and chemical. That's just like part of our, all the sensors in our body, right? And they're feeding information to the neurons and they're tell, they're updating and talking to all the different parts of the spine. They're saying, they're just kind of checking in, telling everybody, telling the body, the system and the brain like what's going on and so um that's why you know when we perceive changes in chemicals so like for people with multiple chemical sensitivity like their sensors are their body's response to a chemical change right which might be somebody's perfume or some kind of smell um, which wouldn't bother somebody else if their system is very sensitive, um, their body is going to react to it like it's dangerous. And so we have a lot of influence over that, um, just using our thoughts and using this kind of like 
this internal conversation, which is just how we process emotions and talk to like work with our nervous system. And sometimes people, you know, and then there's like different tools like meditation or gratitude practices or journaling. But a lot of it is about getting in touch with uh, emotions and making emotions also safe to be felt. So, um, yeah, pain is complex. <laughs> um, but healing from pain can be a really powerful process of getting kind of closer to listening to yourself, to like knowing the parts of you that are asking for care and attention that are like your the body, that inner body conversation that just wants to be heard, that we're always suppressing all the time so we can like get things done or be effective or push through or do our job sometimes. Um, so some of it is really just about like developing this kind of new skill set. And there's a whole field of like psychoneuroimmunology and that talks about kind of like inflammation in the body and how we can affect inflammation also by these same kind of practices. So. I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I do have one more thing. So for me, sometimes it often is a balance between trying to take the time to listen to my body, but also like wanting to to keep moving to stay productive like I don't want to just end up like bedridden or you know what I mean like because I, I feel like you know if I don't push through then I'm just gonna never do anything does that make sense totally yeah and some of that messaging is kind of what make is the problem is the problem only in that you're telling your body like I don't want to hear you because you think mm. if you listen it's going to say you have to stay in bed. Yeah. And so, right. So even just that, the like, I have to push through because the only other alternative is to do nothing or to like give in. And it's the corrective experience that we would be looking for in the nervous system is how to listen and also move. And so how to listen and also like maintain and also regain more mobility, more functionality, more self-trust for your body and your nervous system. So this is all about updating the autonomic nervous system process and assessment of what uh, is happening in your, in your body. So some of that is just a thought, right? It's a thought, that thought, like, I'm going to have to stay in bed. What, what kind of feeling do you have when you think that thought? uh that that's not how i want to end up i don't want to lose my functionality yeah no. so if you were to like locate that like um as a feeling as an emotion what one word would you use i mean fear probably yeah and when you feel fear like where like what do you notice when you feel tight <laughs> yeah right so there's sometimes more t like there's tension mm -hmm. that comes from but it that tension didn't come from you know whatever's happening in your body that tension is in your body because of that thought because of mm -hmm. the fear and the emotion of fear 
And so that's a, sometimes, especially for folks with GI problems and all things like that, it's like the, the body sensations, because the brain can make any sensation in the body. Um, mm -hmm. The body sensations become medicalized and then we treat them that way. But that tension in your body was from a thought and an emotion. Right. And so we teach, we teach people how to have less fear about the future. Sometimes it is because, sometimes it's about surrender because the future is unknowable. Oh. Um, I mean, it's unknowable for everybody. We just like to, you know, we do, I mean, we don't usually go through every day you know we don't usually like go to sleep thinking i don't know if i'm gonna get up tomorrow we'll just see right? like <laughs> we usually just assume that tomorrow we have a calendar it's full we're gonna go do all the things in our life and like you know so a lot of it is just that little bit of awareness of i'm having this thought that thought creates this emotion that this emotion has this sensation because we can treat tension in the body you know, you can take medication that will mm -hmm. help you change that relationship with that nociceptive input, with that experience, physiological experience, right, through medication. But also, what if we can just change that through this process of awareness? So, yeah. Yeah. So, it, you don't, that's not the only option. And what part of one of the things that, uh, you know, I work for, uh, also, I do my own pro coaching program. I also work for a digital health company, startup company called Lynn Health, and they actually have a whole um, series of training providers and things like that. And um, where was I going with this conversation? Um, fell right out of my head. It's amazing. <laughs> it's also like almost midnight here, so it's a little late. Um, yeah, I'm on the East Coast too, so I'm okay, with you. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, and so, but what's fun is I get to like hang out and talk to a lot of physicians who work in this mind body field. And, oh, so what I was going to say is part of our, part of like the treatment protocol often is to share and read about other people's recovery stories, because that becomes also the information that we take in about the possibility of what is true in your body, like what this pain means, sometimes we get to borrow that meaning and belief from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so when I have clients who've recovered from my fibromyalgia or recovered from 20 years of migraines, who've recovered from debilitating back pain, who've recovered from all kinds of things, their stories become new possibilities of what, what, pain means and so when we create this new belief that also allows safety in terms of like even having the desire to like be with the sensation of tension in the body and then we can watch it change so it's very possible to feel differently um I just want to share that with you. Yeah, great. And, and so, yeah, does not mean that you have to end up in bed. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. That was so great. So great. 
one thing that I, I really want to boil down is like, we just get taught that pain is bad, right? So like every time we have pain, it's bad. Yeah. That's like, that's our label we put on it. And what you're suggesting is to experience the pain. And for me, I'll say I'm operating, I'm doing a case, I'm sitting, I'm hunched, I'm tight. I'm pissed that it's not ending yet, whatever it is. I feel pain and automatically I think bad instead be like possibly curious mm-hmm. of like, does this pain mean, what does this pain mean? Does it mean I'm, I just haven't moved in three hours. And like, of course, yeah. once I move, it'll feel better. Does it mean I'm thirsty? Yeah. Does it mean I'm stressed about what's going on with this case? But even just opening up like pain to curiosity mm-hmm. might open up more possibilities and saying pain, something's gone wrong. So when we only think pain equals something's gone wrong, then we automatically go down to catastrophizing or we're like planning like, okay, I have to go to the chiropractor. I have to go to this. And like, it's just another thing that we have to fix. And then it is very, very hard to have anything. You cannot get to curiosity if you think exactly, if you think only bad things are happening. Um, So yeah, I always like to say that pain is a communication from the body. Then we just want to be like, what's up? As neutral and relaxed and curious and friendly as we can be. Just like, what would you like me to know in this moment? Is there, is there, hard to say. Is there research in like what happens when you have pain and you're a jerk to yourself because of it? Um, I'm sure that there is. Uh, There is a lot uh, there. Uh, there is, let me see if I can, there's a whole bunch of research on, um, this, uh, website called PPDA association. And they also do a lot of, they do some practitioner where, how would you, how would it be helpful for me to share some resources? I have like a few things. up. Yeah. If you just want to give it to me afterwards and then I can post it in the group. Great. And I'll do that. Because, um, yeah, so there's uh, this PPDA, which is the Psychophysiological Disorders Association, um, and they have a correlated, a bun- like collected a bunch of research. Um, so they work with both therapists and physicians and other people working in the mind-body space. So yes, the way we talk to ourselves absolutely relates to our physiological experience. I mean, we can, I, uh, yeah, I see this happen a lot, um, with headaches. Amazingly. Yeah. I I think especially for like the doctor type people of like, if there's actually data on like when you're a jerk to yourself, this cascade happens would be fascinating. Cause I think we're, we're like, we're aware of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to have self-love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? But like, if you're actually like physiologically, you have two choices, you have love or you have bullying and and the cascades are this, it would be fascinating to read something like that. Yeah. And there is research like Kristen Neff, I know, right. Who's the, the, um, self-compassion researcher. She has research on the effects of self-compassion on pain, on pain experiences. So yeah, there's a lot, you know, really only recently has there been research on the fact that you can get rid of pain. Usually we've always talked about managing pain and it was interesting. I think it's Greg Lehman, who's a, 
I don't know if he's a PT or just like a, he has a thing called better movement and it's all about like movement optimism. So he teaches kinesiology, teaches pain science. And he said, he evaluated the boulder back pain study. And he said, the only thing that's different, he's like, we've known all of these things for years. Like all of these strategies work. He's like, the only thing different in the boulder back pain study was they told recipients that their pain will go away rather than their pain would be managed. And so that really just shows the power of the brain because it's the only difference is language in that. You're basically telling somebody what, like, what to expect. We're talking about pain expectancy. So they expected in the course of this treatment that their pain would go away. Nobody's telling them pain is incurable. Nobody is telling them that like, oh, you're just gonna have to suffer with this for the rest of your life. So when you have the expectancy that you will heal and get better, and there are lots of studies about like how prayer helps in healing, how belief helps in healing, right? After surgery and all kinds of things like that. So belief in this kind of pain update also really helps in then updating the brain. So I think this part, cool part of the science stuff is really neat because some of it really isn't new. It's just like how we're thinking about it is new. Oh, I love it. It's, it's yeah. totally addicting. Um, <laughs> You were like, I talk about this all day. It's no, you clearly, so you clearly know your stuff like solidly. Um, when you were talking about I written down how to get the system quieter, because yeah. I think, you know, for the surgeon type people, like mm -hmm. self-neglect is like solid, like yeah. it is literally trained into us and mm -hmm. the role of movement, writing, prayer, yoga, meditation. I think we all think, I'm going to speak for everybody, but we all kind of think of it as like extra for like those people who like have time to do it and like, like woo, right? Like that's like our belief around it. Yeah. And like, what's the science? And like, cause to me, I'm like, this is, this is non-negotiable stuff. Yeah. If, you, if you want to, you know, be yeah. function at your highest level. What's the yeah. science? Like, what are your thoughts on like that stuff to get the system quieter and as a, as a regular well, practice? My first thought is what you're saying is how you're trained is like, that's the patriarchy. Why do we want to keep it? Why do we think that's the right way to do anything? Yeah. A lot of what we do is like undoing the trauma that came from residency for yeah. sure. Yeah. So like one, like, why are you fighting for it? You know, like, I mean, I'm not going to do, with man. You. We fight for it. It's I'm not going to fight with you on it. Right. Like, I'm not going to fight with you and tell you why, like being nice to yourself. Like why you should do that. Right. Like, why don't you think that? <laughs> right. So, but uh, believe me, I'm in the same way. Right. Like my, you know, I was always like anything, like I can fix everything. And like, that was part of the problem was this like perfectionist drive to like never feel pain to never to always think that everything like an emotion like an uncomfortable emotion or discomfort or pain or something negative was like a problem so one there's just the experience the like profound experience of allowing ourselves to have the human experience 
um, and not believe that it's permanent, right? So that any feeling or any experience is not permanent at all. Like there's Jill Bolt Taylor's work on the, what is it? 90 second rule of emotion, uh, which she so brilliantly observed, like there's a neurocycle of an emotion. And when we don't keep interrupting it, it just kind of goes through a process. Our, bo our bodies and our brains are designed that way. So it's like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if we get out of our own way, our bodies really know what to do. It's just like in healing, our bodies heal. We have to believe that they can. Um, so I don't know, would lots of studies on like why, <laughs> on like how self-care is good for you would that help what what's yeah, going to be the turning point i well to change behavior i well i think this group coaching program is the turning point because we're actually like you can take care of yourself and realize that how we got trained actually causes a heck of a lot of damage and if we want to be part of the future of this we have to figure out how to do it differently yeah. Like to me that, but I mean, what you say is perfect is like, you're like, if you want to ram your body against a brick wall for the rest of your life. Like you do you, <laughs> but yeah. how is it working out? Like when you're 23, it's actually, it's okay. Like you can tolerate a lot of brick walls. Yeah. You can run on adrenaline and fumes and it's exciting, but some of it is like, right. Some of it is the perception also of things being exciting. Right. And now it's not as exciting anymore, probably, right? So it's like, is this adrenaline? Like, a, like, there's even just the neurochemistry of learning. And that's, you know, so like if you, I love Dr. Huberman and all of his podcasts. And so I'm just like a fangirl and learn all my neuroscience through him, right? Because I'm not a doctor. Um, and, but he talks about the, the neurochemistry of learning and how when you learn there's a process of that it releases acetylcholine in your system which is agitating right and and so when you're young and excited and you're in residency and you're like go 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 and like that kind of like go 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 achieve achieve energy is like gotten you you know it's what drives you it's the fuel that's in the car that's making the car go um but then eventually, you know, we don't need to be putting the foot on the gas so hard, right? So, but we've trained the brain and the body that this is how we work. You know, we haven't trained the brain. It's all learning. So if you, if you really just think of this as neuroplasticity, if you teach the brain that you're safe, not putting the gas pedal to the floor, you know, and that actually like doing less, breathing more, creating space, having this kind of gap in experience, you know, in this like physiological experience where you're like, uh, you know, almost kind of like let some space be in there uh, and not feel like it's all going to fall apart, right? Like, okay, do some new things and you don't die. <laughs> So it might be like, do some self-care and notice that you don't die, um, right? And then that becomes learning, right? That becomes, right? So what we want then is this inviting and ease, this quality of safety, 
right? The inner conversation between the brain and the body. Um, and, and all of those things, you know, and so, and different things are going to work for different people, right? We're all different. So some people are going to like want to go for a walk and that feels really good. Some people are going to want to meditate. Some people hate meditation. Some people want to listen to music. Some people want to pet a cat. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Like there's no one right way, but it's like, it's just like do something different than what you're doing now, you know? Um, and so some of it is just leaning into this sense of like, um, I mean, again, I always use the word safety, right? It's just creating this belief in this sense of safety. And that can be hard. I mean, we're also living still in the middle of a global pandemic. And a mental health crisis and all kinds of things that are difficult. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for the hour. And thank you everybody oh, for staying you're up so late. You're so welcome. Yeah. Oh, this is absolutely a, a privilege and a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for like everybody being here, letting me talk, sharing stuff. And I will share all of these other resources. And like, you know, I think the more and more that we are, um, creating ways for like physicians and patients and, and other human beings to like come together in this work together. I think like the more we'll have this as an option for providers, um, you know, to like refer their patients, but also just to think about and apply these tools for themselves. Totally. We all need it. Great. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. All have right. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.